blind eye, nose I'm on the tip of your tongue Cause I'm in your head, instead I'm hung by the neck Yo, check me if I'm dead, I use my post like a drum loop Dumb, stupid, foolish feelings are felt by your group So look around, look alive, good looking, give me five I could come as a pleasant greeting or a fist There's no defeating this kid, look at what I done did and what I'm doing I'm chewing the fat, spitting it back in the form of a rap It's the form of the rap, so now you know not to frazzle with me You get frizzy hair, feelings of despair, no longer hostile Which is snotty nostril, it's blood drips from the other Word mother, starts hover, rotating like cartoons You're hating me forever, like bad weather You check it, the dark cloud just follows you, swallows you Cause the evil energy defeated, which out you greet it But you don't need it, you see it Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The House List. I'm your host, Peter Agostin. Thank you for tuning in. This is my weekly podcast. Uh, we got a great guest today. My man, Mr. Complex, is in the house tonight or today, depending on when you listen to it. Um, if this is your first time listening, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, you can find uh, The House List on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. Um, and, you know, my guest and I go way back. So it was really a treat to talk to him because I didn't sit and talk to him in a while. And I'd just seen him uh, perform here in Brooklyn. He's got a summer residency um, at the Kings County Distillery in Brooklyn, kind of uh, by the Navy Yards, uh, 299 Sand Street in Brooklyn. Um, And I wanted to, I I caught his set, so I wanted to talk to him about that, the residency, as well as, um, you know, what he has. going on because he just put out an album as well called forever new uh which he also directed like several music videos for we talked about that in the conversation but yeah he just recently put out a an album a couple months ago in 2017 yes forever new mr complex uh and if you are in the new york area on, on sunday july 16th that's the next date of his summer uh concert series at the king's county distillery here in brooklyn so, me and Plex go way back. Um, if any of you guys remember my Culturama music video collection, compilation, he was on the very first one with Visualize, which was the flip side, the A side of the record um, that we heard in the intro, and uh, which was a big record for sure. So, and he's been, he gave me videos over the course of the Culturama um, catalog and he's been making films and music videos ever since in fact he's he's a great director and works as a first ad on a lot of film projects movies and tv and we go in into that i wanted to get a sense of his career as a whole because he had a he has an independent record label that he's had since back then he um has been putting out music videos uh since since back in the day so it just has a he's a he's a great artist and um and yeah i was even trying to remember what else we worked on and it came to me like that i I was hired by him and we collaborated and i worked as the publicist actually for hold this down which was his album that came out in 2001 and it, it actually if i'm not mistaken the release date was slated for september 11 2001 so we talk about that whole period of time in New York and and everything before and after. It was actually a really great conversation. Um, 
So if you've been wanting to reconnect with his music, this is a really good um, excuse to, that's for sure. I went back to the Complex catalog, which was like his first compilation of of all the singles, because Plex, if you aren't already super familiar with him, kind of came out of this hyper-productive indie underground 12-inch scene of the late 90s into the early 2000s. And he put out a compilation on his own label, yeah, Core Chords. Uh, called the Complex Catalog. It's a great starter if you're not hip to his uh, music. Uh, and, of course, the new album, uh, Forever New, 2017. So, yeah, we're right about to get into that. I would be remiss, though, to uh, not say rest in peace to the one and only prodigy from Mob Deep, of course. And um, it's a terrible loss, a huge loss. I know this episode will... Uh, uh, will post a little bit of time after he's passed but i wanted to make sure to say that because we recorded it basically a day or two after and uh during that time like many i submerged myself in his music and it was really a tough loss for such a inventive and hyper productive artist too so i mean from authoring books and movies and, and records and everything in between and his own label too and i'm a fan of anyone that has their own independent label or does things on an independent hustle because that's exactly what we do here at the houseless podcast so uh permanent salute to prodigy and all the mob deep fans and prodigy fans out there too because i know it's a collective loss and a major one for all of us so i wanted to say that uh before we went ahead with this episode so let's see without further ado you know Let's get into this convo with me and Mr. Complex, my man, Plex, only on the house list. And don't forget to subscribe or rate this. If you listen to it on SoundCloud, please repost it on SoundCloud. That's a great way to get this out there, especially because we're doing it on the DIY level. Very underground. I want to get the word out. So let's do some word of mouth shit if we can. And let some cats know if they're fans or friends of Mr. Complex, old collaborators, be like, yo, check this out. You know what I'm saying? So without further ado. Let's get into this combo, and I'll catch you guys on the outro. Thanks. You know, I've known you for a pretty long time. Over the course of that whole time, you've had, like, this record label that you started, like, at the very I mean, your very first record, mm-hmm. which you've, uh, Core Chords, which you've had, like, you know, that you've used intermittently over the course of your whole career. And I was just trying to think, like, what would be a good way to even start this combo, too, because... Um, We've worked on different stuff and you're like have been active in in both you know film and and records like you know for the better part of the last two decades you know one thing that i've just found like that i think is really cool about what you do is just that you've had this business this like you know independent sort of production business in a way and just like really wanted to figure out like what the inception of that was and that because you've been able to rely on it here and there for one reason or another over the course of your career, like maybe using that very first single uh, as a way to, because I think most of the people that are listening to this might might remember that record too. And I that, I have a great deal of nostalgia towards that record as well. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I still look, go back to that quite a bit. And it's a great record. Against the Grain. And feel me, I'm, I'm rhyming against the Grain. Yeah. So... Well, how did you go about just um, coming up with that and that, like, where you were, like, in your life at that point in time? Because this is, like, basically the early to mid-90s, right? 
All right, so at the beginning, when it was a stage where people were trying to get record deals, major right. deals, you know, there wasn't so many, like, it wasn't really, like, independent. There were, but it wasn't, like, a popular thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody was running the disc makers, you know, if you didn't have a record deal. Right. And people were just doing this to show a major label, you know, um, check me out. Yeah. And then like, try to yeah. work off getting signed. Like a demo. Right. Like. It was like just a little bit more than a demo, you know. And this, we didn't know, because we didn't have, we just had like the Fat Beats that just started maybe a year or two ago right. before I started my my label. And, and then you didn't have... You couldn't run up to, you know, um, it was it wasn't High ninety seven. It might have it was WBLS, it was BLS and Kiss, and Kiss right. you know what I mean? And they just had Friday and Saturday nights raps, you right. know, and raps that got played in the daytime were pretty much crossover rap, major label stuff, right. you know. Not a bad thing of crossover. If they played an LL record, it wasn't like sound bad. Yeah. It just made attention you know what I mean yeah so just caught attention but stuff that I was pre uh, making people were like I did it to show people that I'm sure that there's an audience out there for stuff I'm doing because I was doing these radio shows Bobbitos and the and the mayhems and the, um, the early you know this yeah. radio shows and I was doing live shows places and people were coming up to me and I was getting caught in these magazines. So I knew there was an audience. Right. So when I pressed it up, I wasn't thinking at the time it was a, a, a business. It was just something I needed to do for a temporary moment. Right. You know, that's what I first thought. Until after months went by, and then you get a phone call, and someone says, yo, how many of these records you have left? While well, I was out just passing them to whoever, who anybody who cared, right. you know? And I, and I pressed up 300 copies of vinyl and 300 cassettes. Uh -huh. And then when I got a phone call, how many have left? I got like 150. Uh -huh. I'm going to buy them. I'm going to buy them. And there was a distribution company who I was unfamiliar with. And he was upset that I didn't put a phone number or a contact. You know, because again, this was before, you know, a lot of the... You know, Facebook, so Absolutely. easy to I mean, find even people. email was still pretty primitive, like right. in 94, 95. Yeah. So, I, you know, I didn't think. But he got my number through word of mouth through about four different states in Canada. You know what I mean? So it was like, oh, wow. And then he bought all those records. What distributor was that? It was Big Daddy Distributor. Yes. Okay, yeah. And then he called me the next day, said he needed another thousand. Then the uh -huh. next day, he needed wow. another thousand. The next day, so by the end of the week, he needed 3,000 records, which I didn't have. Right. And the press. Yeah, 150. Up, yeah. And to press up 3,000 records, you need, you know, a little, little stash. So I had to reach Absolutely. out. Reach out to a homie. He put up some money for me. I gave it back to him, you know. And next you know, I was an artist and I was a label dude, you know. <laughs> yeah. Which I didn't think or, or wanted it to. You know, right, right. but by the time the second record came around, I bumped heads with uh, Rorschach, who also had a label. Sure. What was it? George? Was yep. That? Yep. Yeah. George De Debut or something? No. Summers. George Summers. That's yeah, what it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
he had an artist named J Live. Right. And I brought J Live down to the source, got him in the in Unsigned Hype. Nice. And that started his stuff. For bragging rights or Yeah, I think so, bragging rights. And then um and you know, me touring is hard to I didn't know the business that well. I had friends that also had records out. I ran with O C who was under search at the time. The search's man, Mark, he managed me at the time. He brought me down to Rorschach. Okay. Really to work on beats at originally, you know? And that's when I met Spinner. Spinner was sitting in the office and Spinner was like, Oh, I heard your record. Okay. And then actually you know I started Yeah, I was wondering how the how the eventually because you guys have collaborated a lot over the right. years too. Like right. so it was it was just you walked into the room and he was already familiar yeah. with the joint. Okay. And then I started recording with Spinner in like ninety six. Yeah, I mean visualize and um hit me in the face. Why don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a, I mean, I listened to that this morning too. I hadn't listened to that record in a while and stuff. And uh, it's a great, I mean, that was a big record too for the time. I'm yeah, sure yeah. that they sold uh, plenty of that record yeah, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, um, and actually I think that's how I first met you too. Because I was trying to figure out that. Because it, it was somewhere in between your that uh, I'm Rhyming Against the Grain and Visualize. Because of the music video for Visualize. Mm. No, I did a video, remember I did a video for Feel Me first. I, of course, yeah. You know what? I wanted to bring this out too <laughs> because um, you, wow. I actually have the VHS of, of Feel Me. Play, play. So Not what? Ordinate. Wow. Dear Diary, do your thing. Wow. So I'm not sure if um, I got this from you before. Obviously, this was made well before Visualize. Mm-hmm, yeah. So this is a, VH ta- a VHS tape that you had, you had given me at some point in time many, many years ago, over 20 years ago. And uh, I wanted to get, eventually get to this point, too. But you were, you know, I, th- I don't know if, uh, if the music heads or the record collectors really are super familiar with your the fact that you were, you know, a budding filmmaker at that time too, right? And you were shooting stuff on. This is all like probably on uh, 16. Super Eight, sixteen, yeah, black and white and color, yeah. And um, so I was doing this um, my Culturama music video kind of compilation thing, but I still don't really remember getting this. So can you describe, you know, just because people obviously can't see this, it's basically like a compilation of your work, a reel, a sizzle mm-hmm. tape, if you will. Of are your these, work at this time. This, this is like, I think each film is on here. It's a bunch of yeah. films. I remember, yeah, I mean, I don't have a working VHS player right now or <laughs> a normal TV, but uh, I remember Foreplay, which was, that was the main Foreplay film, play. right? Yeah, that was my first film I made, and that was black and white. I, um, I directed, produced it, wrote it, edited it on 16 millimeter. Nice. You did the editing film, too? Cut it on Steinbeck. You know, very good. Before Final Cut, of course. Do you, so, did you ever use an optical printer? Do you remember those? No, that was more. Maybe that was more for Super Eight editing oh, and stuff. Oh, yeah. And then these other films, Not Your Ordinary Jack. I shot that one, and that one was directed by Dave Castellano, who recently, well, past couple of years, he did the the Smalls Family things. On, I'm not hitting that. It's the Smalls Family little episodes he did on YouTube where he had a white family reciting Biggie's lyrics. Oh, yeah? And they okay. were acting them out. Right. And he got very popular off that. Amazing. So he, what, 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 what was his role in this? He wrote 
and directed this film. Nice. And I shot that one. And he's also an AD. Right. Many, many films. He's been in the business for since we left film. Did you meet at school? Yeah. We met at school. You uh, went to NYU or you went to New York, New York Film Academy? Academy? Yeah, nice. And mind you, we were real early Film Academy where I had three people in my class. No way. Yeah. And it was like, I went at night, so it was uh, maybe a 12-week program. I think the daytime was like eight weeks. Uh-huh. And I just stayed the whole year. I just kept, they just bring me back to shoot other people's films. Dope. So all these other people were students, you know, that, you know, maybe like we start. I started in like one month. Right. And they might have started the next month. And because I was there and you bump heads in the editing room or bump heads in the hallway, and people just came to me and I was just helping people. I had a, I had a blazer at the time, trucks. So I was able to throw equipment in. I nice. knew the city. Most people came here were from out of town. Right. So they were like, do your thing. She was from Germany, Berlin. Mm-hmm. Dear diary named Lisa, she was from D.C., whatever. Uh, Winter from uh, Germany. She, um, huh, so many stories. Yeah, I want to know about it, too, because I haven't seen this in a long time. Mm-hmm. I remember your movie, Foreplay, mm-hmm. and Feel Me, the music video, right. which I, now I regret not, I don't know why it was never on a Culturama thing, because the first I Culturama thing, not just visualized was the first thing that we did. That hmm. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure. Um, I, I remember Feel Me, you think, was on that. But anyway, right, anyway, the other um, films, another thing I used to do when this is again before Internet. So when you wanted to look at headshots, right, people had to mail them in. Right. You used to put ads in backstage. Yeah. You know, and you would get boxes and boxes of headshots, especially if you had a New York address on it. You know, so out of four milk crates full of headshots. All right. You can't see it would be about. Two inches of, say, Afro-American headshots. Okay. And say if I wanted to tell a story of my my peoples, I didn't have much of a choice. You know what I mean? Out of those few, just imagine how many would be good. But I would bring in them. I would bring them in for an audition, whatever, whatever. And the same thing happened with the next filmmakers. They was like, I'm trying to find a black girl. I'm trying to find a black guy. And what I was doing a little selfish was I was keeping them. You know, I would take the headshots out. To use for your film. Yeah, use for my film, <laughs> which was a little selfish. But hey, man, I guess if you were in this business world, you know. and you were an actor, you should send more than one headshot, you know? Oh, yeah. So there was just one. Yeah. For, yeah. yeah they might need to do that. Yeah. Right. So I had a stash. Next you know, I was almost a casting you know, agency. So people came to me, was like, yo, yo. Wow. So you look at these films, it's the same actress and the same actor. Maybe that's why when I remember pulling this out of the stacks, I was mm-hmm. like, these must all be your films. You you shot mm-hmm. these, though, yeah. I shot most of them. I'm the DP, basically. Yeah, right? yeah. And some of them, because they were student films, I didn't want to hog it. I was like, you shoot, you shoot. But they came to me for help, and I was good with, you know, a lot of it. So right. that's what happened. And it's so funny. This was 95. So the same actress in all these films. What was she, her name? Candace. Okay. And she was also in the visualized video. Oh, the reporter? The reporter. Nice. All right. She also became my wife. Oh. Yes. And my baby mama. <laughs> so. Okay. <laughs> so whatever. 
You know, crazy, crazy story. In that visualized video, the reporter, I don't know if I should tell this story. I don't hey, go for it, man. I don't care. The reporter, she wasn't my wife at the time, but, you know, I didn't know if we were dating at that time. 97? Yeah, we were. So, um, I needed a girl to play the lead. And originally, uh, originally was going to be Jean Grey. Uh-huh. But she fronted the last minute. So I had to scramble to find somebody, and I couldn't. I called a homegirl, and she's like, why don't you use my niece? And her niece I'd known since she was a kid. Uh-huh. I'm like, how old is she? You know? And she was 15 at the time. And I didn't have a choice. And she came over. They came over, and they put makeup on her. And I guess I was, you know, my 20s, so I, I had a baby face. So I didn't look right. that young. They made it look like she was, you know, late teens at least, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I looked very 20. So it didn't look that bad. Nobody said anything. Like, yeah. Nobody knew, you right. know. That's I didn't amazing. tell, but nobody knew, yeah. you know. Well, we didn't do anything, you know, you know, right, out of right. order. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, that was a little secret there. Yeah, that's the, the magic of movie making. Yeah. So then years go by, and I see that same girl, you know, you know, late night in the diner, like, what are you doing in here? How old are you? 21. Years ago, I see you in the club. What are you doing in here? 23. I'm like, and she always with some dude that's like, and you just felt like, you know, it felt weird. You know, yeah, right. you felt your age and all that. And then her aunt, who I was tight with in college, you know, I ran into at a show one time in Brooklyn, around the corner from where she lived with Farrell and most death. And, she was like, Corey. And I seen her, and I was just shocked, you know, at her, her appearance. And the next, you know, I went to look for her on Facebook, and I found a niece. And I was doing the math. I was like, well, the niece got to be like 30-something now. And then I hit the niece, like, hey, what's up? How are you? And I was like, hey, what's happening? Next, you know, we start talking. Next, you know, we're in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess, you know, uh, yeah, later yeah. in life, you know, yeah. the, the she's, age gap. She's, well, 30-something at the time with a kid and all that. Right. So it wasn't like... Of course, yeah. yeah. And I wasn't thinking these thoughts when she was little. Yeah, you know, yeah. But it was just so weird how the world go around. Sure. And then she said something. I remember when I was in your video, that other girl taught me how to put makeup on for the first time. Wow. And I was like, wow. That was my ex-wife taught my girl how to... You know? oh, man. <laughs> and it's just was a weird, crazy. I don't know. Well, when you've been like you know, yeah. you know, making films and doing art for that long, yeah, you know, yeah. there's especially in New York City, there will be some, uh, yeah, yeah, some overlap along the years. Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. So um, over the, I mean, during the course of doing those records, though, you were always doing film stuff, though, right? Yeah, was yeah. there there was never really was there ever really a lull when you were. Do, I mean, obviously, you you've had a lot of releases, and you're mm-hmm. you know had a you know mm-hmm. a pretty prolific recording career. You know, it was funny in the record on my new album called Journey. I, I okay. tell the story. Like '95 was, you know, I put out my first record in '95. Went to film school in '95. Um, some something '95. Not something was '95. There's something clever. I can't even yeah. my rhyme. But after visualize. 97, I started touring heavy. Right. So then the film stuff got the back burner. You know, so I paused on the film. 
and I was shooting all these short films from 95, 96, 97, and my own videos, and, you know, a few other people's things, but when they got on hold, because I was going heavy, the Zen Polly came out, then my own right. stuff come out, and then I was touring with Farrell, so I was on stage every night somewhere, not knowing where I was, so right. I was still writing scripts, writing rhymes, but I didn't really shoot much. You know, I think I shot a short film in 98. <laughs> with like, What was that? That was called Nothing Moves. Okay. I had Destroy in it. I had my ex-wife in it. Um, some other folks. It's funny, I see some of these folks on commercials and do things, something nice. disappear. Right. But, um, but then when 2000, after the buildings fell, yeah, and that Hold Us Down album came out three weeks after I know because that's when we were working we were, on that right together. right and yeah. everything just went kapoop you know yeah so that's when I jumped back into the film world like in 2002 right and which uh, that reminds me too is I found this VHS tape which is from that time as well um, if I'm not mistaken underground up underground up and desire if, if oh, I'm yeah, not mistaken yep, yep. So those are two songs that was on Hold This Down. Right. Hold This Down was a record that you that came out basically in the summer 2001, if I'm not mistaken, it was or October. In the fall. Yeah, it was after 9/11. Yeah. Because um, we were working it, because I was I kind of came on board to work as a publicist for right, Hold right, This right. Down when I was living in California, mm-hmm. and we had been we'd stayed in touch uh, doing the Culturama stuff, and I was writing for a bunch of magazines at that time too, and whatever, and mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, and I remember those were on one of the Culturamas too, the music, the music videos too. But that was such a obviously any records that came out, which actually also reminds me too is as in August of two thousand one um, is when I came to New York and shot the music video with my friend Wendy Morgan for the Jigmasters. Don't get it twisted, mm-hmm. uh, which you were in as yeah. well. You made a cameo in yes in the Brooklyn Promenade. Uh, we shot that on sixteen, color sixteen as well. Was that um, was the dot in it? It was the one with the dot X. Yeah, it was oh. from Jigmaster's album Infectious. Oh. Uh, song "Don't Get It Twisted," and we had a night shoot. It was August. I remember even the there were some. We had a couple different locations. We shot in the Bronx. We shot at that guy um, uh, Tikla. Do you remember that dude that used to be down with Spin? He was like a keyboard player. They yeah, did a couple, something. I think that's I think that's what his name was. We shot on his rooftop in downtown Brooklyn, and then the Promenade, which you were in, and a rooftop in Chinatown, which the which the World Trade Center was in the background as well. Mm. Um, we had like a party scene on yeah, a rooftop. Of rooftops. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. It was it was guerrilla, but it was. I mean, looking back, it was like it was amazing because Landspeed owed I think owed the Jigmasters like ten grand or something, and they couldn't really give them cash, so basically they gave us their credit card to to rent all the the cameras with and get the van with and um it was like the era of like freddie fox going up in in the spots like that and anyway i'm just remembering it all now because it was like summertime music video and it was right before september 11th and it was during that time that i think because i was living in california too that that you and i were Mm -hmm. had been working on hold this down as far as getting the press uh Mm -hmm. copies out that yeah so what because i went back uh, i mean this was like maybe the week before so, do you? What was that time in New York for you like? Because you were living in Queens at the time. Yes, I was living in Brooklyn at the time. Where whereabouts? In Bed Stuy. Okay. And I remember that day. I you know I didn't get out the bed to like twelve something. The phone was going off. So 
it happened early. You turn the TV on, and it was like, whoa. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I have friends, and you're trying to figure out, you know, who needed help. I have a friend, a real close friend that was living in Staten, and he couldn't get home. Right. So I remember I had to meet him somewhere and drive him, and I drove past, like, later in the day, BQE, and you could see across the water. Wow. And just smoke and the smell, and you, and you just just was like people were in there you know what I mean and it was like you know was a crazy time and you know back then you had to set up your album four months ahead of time sure. for the magazines for every distribution it wasn't like you can call people up um could you push uh, we want to switch the date again it was too late you no, know it was what pretty mean? much set in yeah stone. it was set in the stone so three weeks later an album come out I had already overseas gigs booked, you know, and all that. I remember getting on a plane and being like the only person on a big plane, oh you know. God, really? And you get there, and you're like, "All right, new album." You're thinking that maybe I can get away, you know, and it would be right. different. But over there, they were like, "What was it like?" Everybody wanted to know. They didn't care about an album, no, you know. No. And you started realizing that music. You know, not to belittle it so much, but it's not really as important as life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Art absolutely. is, you know, it's a pastime. It's, it's important, yes. But again, it's not changing lives to certain degrees. You know what I mean? It, it can influence people. Yeah. But it can't, you know, my album is not going to pay your rent my album's not going to you know uh take care of any certain you know yeah man yeah and i mean using the the term pastime is pretty it's pretty interesting it's pretty it's pretty damn accurate in a lot of ways i mean obviously music can really soothe a lot Mm -hmm. it can take your mind off a lot of bullshit in life true it can get you you know amped up when you need to it can it can calm you down right right and there's certain songs for everything then you start thinking about you know what what does my music do like if you're a crackhead and you about to smoke some crack and a and a song comes on and says don't smoke crack you know you're not going to stop because that person said it in the song. Right. You know what I'm saying? But you might feel a little guilt, yeah, possibly. You know, but you're not going to stop, right? The, the, no matter how good the song is, you know, right. you might feel you know a certain way. But um, and my my hip hop was you know I was being artsy, I was being creative. I wasn't telling you to go to school. I might have said you know don't smoke weed. You know whatever, whatever. I had my things. I wasn't talking about killing cops. I wasn't disrespecting women so much, you know. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it's like, is my music important? Then you stand next to a building in Manhattan and you just look up and see how big these buildings are. And just imagine it full of people. And just imagine that coming down. And then you take your CD and you're like, uh you know <laughs> yeah. so it definitely puts things in a yeah, perspective yes and then when I had a show my release party in Manhattan nobody was going to Manhattan at that time sure people were like we're going you know and there might have been like a hundred people in SOBs when I was used to getting you know packing out a spot right you know and that was a time 
And people's spirits was also, you know, that would traumatize a lot of people. Oh, yeah. The nation was broken. I can right. only imagine in New York it was, it was beyond that. Right. And, and that's when I had a falling out with Apani as well okay. at that party. She was walking around with, a, uh, you know, an attitude. And I guess that, you know, played a part on her. And people were coming to me. It was like, yo, I was trying to do an interview with Apani, but it's like she's on her rag. And I'm like, you know, multiple people came up to me. You know, and she was coming to me like, yo, when you time you get norns, I'm going to leave, you know, and I was like trying to be, you know, cool about it. But then it got to a point where I couldn't take it anymore. I was like, yo, people are coming to me like, yo, yeah, yo. And then she just had an nasty attitude. And then we just we just sparked into something right when I was about to get on the stage, mm. you know, and I lost it. And, you know, I said some we said some words. And then I didn't speak to her for years after that. Have you guys come back around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was very hard. You know, and I was being stubborn. But I was being stubborn for years, for a while. And she was doing her thing out of the country and all that. Right. But I was being stubborn just because, you know, you know, I was Aries. But, um... Okay. <laughs> but, um... Um... But, you know, when you get older and, and you know, we spoke about it. And then we started a new poly... Um, and then she resurfaced. Yeah, because the original um, uh, project was it was never really meant to be like an ongoing group, right? right At right. the very beginning, right? Originally, it was because I was on a uh, that Rorschach. He had me on that contract. Oh well, for, and so what did that mean? Did it limit you somehow? Yeah, I couldn't put out something for uh, on another label. You know, because I was under his contract. Were you supposed to do an album with them? Sort of. Okay. It was a production deal, but then I saw the way he was treating J Live. Right. Same deal. Well, didn't yeah? Because J Live's album ended up like being shelved, and then there was yeah, different yeah. versions. This is the best part, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. then Seven Heads would eventually. Yeah. And it was a thing that I, I saw. I even saw it, you know, with, you know, what Search was doing. It was like people were trying to sign these guys in the production right. deal, kind of lock them in, and a then they was in control of. The budget, when the budget comes from the major label, right, will pay the producer and get the album done. And these guys may not want to pay producers; they may want to keep money. Yeah, I mean, it can work. I guess that way it can work in both in a good way as far as being efficient and getting the right producers. But you can see how someone could take advantage of someone right, very right, easily right, that way right. if all the money first is getting to them and then they mm-hmm. kind of kind of divvy it up yeah. in a weird way. If the yeah. hot producer was Buckwild, right. And Buckwild knows you got $250,000 and he's worth it. You know, not that much, but if he's worth saying, "Yo, give me just give me 10,000." Right. Whatever. Whatever he wanted, you know, he put in his work. You know what I mean? And if you have it, give, then that's what you need to do if he's that producer right now that everybody's looking for. Right. So if you're like, oh, if I give him 10 and give him 10 and then give him 10, you know, so people were being funny with those production deals. Well, it was a time when a lot of what people would, there was a potential to make a lot of money. Right. Producers made a lot more money than mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Everyone but, seemed to make a little bit right. more money. But you as an artist, it wasn't even a manager. Right. You know, a manager, if you sit with your manager and you like, yo, me and my manager, we got to divvy up this 250 you know the manager so much can't tell you no you know what i mean right. 
but the production deal, dude was in control of that, and I watched that with these other artists. So when an opportunity came up two times for me still under this contract, it was easy for me to switch the name on it, make it a group. Instead of me being Mr. Complex featuring Apani and Shabam, I just made up the group. Gotcha. So Polyrhythmatics was, we did a, a Japanese deal with Mary Joy mm -hmm. for the same record, and then with Nervous, the same record, but Nervous was like, you know, you know, B-side as well, which led to the CD. Right, right. You know. And Ronald, Spinner did everything on that, right? Spinner did everything right. except for one, you know. Jack Max. Yes, Jack Max. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but Hold This Down, though, was that was your, that was just your label, yeah. right? Yeah, that was me label. So how did you go? Now, I mean, obviously, it's oh, a different structure when you're not dealing with um, a production manager type type of character. like. And you're, you've always been pretty much self-managed? or Yeah, I had managers here and there, but okay. <laughs> I can name about a dozen of them. All right. But... Um, it's funny, like every project I had a different team around me, right. which also messed up with my, you know, consistency, you know. And you look at those people that were successful, they had the same manager since they was junior high school. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, yeah, there's something about that loyalty. Right. It creates a lot of consistency. Right, you know? yeah, right. Yeah. But every time I came around, I was learning, you know. Right. I was like, the, when I dropped the Complex Catalog, that was new. For people to put out an album of most of the singles you've been putting out for the yeah. past five years. Right. You know what I mean? Five singles. I mean, five years of singles plus stuff that I recorded that I didn't release. It's here. Take it. Just to have it together. Right. People are like, what are you doing that for? You know? Did I it. thought that record was great. It's yeah, great. Yeah. It was fine. But it was, it, was, it was new for me to do that. And I got that distribution to uh, Germany. And in the States, you know. But then when Hold Us Down came, I teamed up with Seven Heads. Okay, yes. And that was because he did the promotions. He had an office. He had know-how. and right, me, West Jackson. Yeah, West. Yeah. So me touring, you know, doing shows, booking my own shows, booking my own tours. You know, and I'm going for five weeks. It's hard to keep up what's happening. Of course. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So I thought to do that with him would be wise. But again, he he did some snake moves on me, mm -hmm. you know, and... But in the moment, though, I think, like, you, uh, that kind of community of artists in New York mm -hmm. that you were a part of was, like, it, it definitely was at its height around that time, yeah. I feel like. The unity, yeah. and there was, like, a real kind of, like, uh, you know, symbiotic thing going on between... The likes of you and Jay Live and, mm -hmm. and Spinna and Unspoken Herd and that, that yeah. sort of. Mm -hmm. And also. Would you I, agree? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. And even at the time, there was more like, and I had my own office with nobody creative. Oh, right. Yeah. On Broom Street, right? No, it was on Lafayette. Yeah. Well, Lafayette on Broom. The corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember right. going there one time. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And inside the office, you know, nobody creative was Tim and Frank. Frank is a film director now. And and another label, Def Jooks. Right. They started in there too. So really? I was sitting next to, to Jesse, who was running the Def Jooks label. Oh, right. And I watched them, I watched them with the first album, second album, third, the Mr. Lift, the uh, Cannibal Ox. Cannibal Ox, Aesop. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I watched them. 
They was consistent, bow, bow, bow. Oh, very consistent. Yeah, so while I was trying to do my own, you know, put out my myself, I had assistance every now and then. But, you know, it was crazy. But you you sort of been this, it's kind of funny when you think back to the film stuff, too, because you kind of, even with the records, it's like the way, like, an independent filmmaker gets stuff off the ground. It's always kind of a pain in the ass, ultimately. I mean, you don't necessarily... It doesn't come across, but I mean, anytime you're putting out any kind of art, I mean, this stuff costs money to make. One, right, it right. costs takes a lot of time, and and you know you have to be able to also figure out the time to simply be creative at this, to be able to write and record. You know, when you're doing it all on your own, I mean, you gotta give I gotta give you a lot of credit for just pulling it all off too, yeah. a lot. You know, so yeah, and to be able to stay consistent because I know you did you've done a couple albums just in the last. Two years or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, <clears throat> it, it's funny. I, I this album I just released. I've been recording for like eight years. <laughs> nice. And I dropped an album 2012. Swiss Chocolate Cake. Yeah. Was something I recorded in 0304. So you just Switzerland. had a lot of joints during that time. Just sitting there. Yeah. You know, and I was like, let me put this out. And I like a lot of these songs. Sure. And hey, why not? You of know. Course. So I ended up teaming with another cat from upstate, sub, sub bombing, okay. to help me put out that record. And then, um, but before that, after the last Poly album in 2007, that's when I got hit with, you know, like this music. I'm fighting with everybody, you know, oh, okay. I'm dealing with a lot of nonsense and music shift was shift was shifting, right. and people weren't buying records anymore. You know, after that. That two that hold us down in two thousand one, it was like a black eye, you know. I dropped Twisted Mister two thousand four, which was like this is gonna be an album. Even the hold us down album was like after I put out the Compass catalog, I still had all these songs I recorded. I wasn't thinking on album concept. When when Wes came to me was like, I got some major distribution set up. If you want to partner with me, because they want some other stuff too. Yeah, they want some content. Right, and this was, again, the first time me, myself, Core Records, getting it into the chain stores. Right. So it was a whole other world I didn't know about. Like, you can't get on a listening station. You can't get it played in a store. You can't get your album up on the top unless you pay extra money. Uh, yeah. And you can't pay just for that one store. You got to pay for the whole region. And oh, you can't sure. just pay for the stores. You got to pay for billboards outside and magazines. We got to know that you're working it. Oh, you know, yeah. well, that was the era of spending a lot. There was a lot of things to spend a money on. Like, you had a lot of have, print ads. You had to have like hundreds and thousands of dollars. Yeah, and I mean, like you look back and you're like, well, did the record do that much better because of those things? Like mm-hmm. I'm just talking in general. They terms. didn't. You know, I remember Invisualize came out in '97. I remember Mike Geronimo record with Puffy on it came out at the yes. same time, and I remember they paid Puffy all this money and they paid him all this money for a video. But I remember Visualize was kicking that record's ass. Nice. Yeah, that was another move by the money, I think, was what yeah, the, yeah, that yeah. Puffy record. Yeah. Which was like... So it just showed you... such a flop. He shouldn't have done that to begin right. with. Because right. Mike Geronimo, I mean, it's like, why would you go that route? You know? Right, right. And that just showed you at the time that it's not always money. Even right. though, it, right now, it seems like a PR game. It's like, if you have the money for PR right now, that's how you become these big superstars that they have today if you want to call them that 
Sure. It's like, how does DJ Khaled, how is he so popular when I'm just not really sure what he does? Exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, he has, yeah, a high high paid powered team behind him. Right. Because he's more of a personality. Not to disrespect anybody. Yeah. But anybody not. with money could be that type of person. Yeah. You know? Sure. If you want to start tomorrow and be like, I'm going to come up with a name, get this behind you, and you can be doing commercials, you could be on award shows. I mean, look at our president. Right. Exactly. Hey. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Pay to play. You know? Exactly it. But, you know, so now it's a game. It's a different game as well. Someone just posted the other day about people posting so much and their music is whack, but because they post so much, they're famous. And I'm like, you know, I didn't have to post back in the days. You know, I no. gave my record to a couple of folks. I was in magazines and I was on my way. Right. But now I got to come up with something every three hours. Right. Post. Well, I think it's so relative too, like what how we gauge like what's successful and what isn't, it. and right. if it's if it's quantified like if we if we quantify it by views and likes on social media, mm-hmm. it's like that when you have a show in a brick and mortar venue, does that translate to people paying buying a hard ticket? Like when you do a show, does that does it really or yeah. are people buying the records? Do you see yeah. that? You know? Yeah, I'm kind of old school where I was like. I don't want to get on Instagram. I don't want to do all that. No, no, no. But I can't get booked on shows or tours because the first thing they look at is how many followers you have. You know what I mean? So it's like, what? Were you not on Instagram? Yeah, it doesn't help. Yeah. So now, jumping on it late in the past year or two, you know, now I'm trying to build my... It's funny, my followers are jumping crazy right now. I got like 500 in the past two weeks. Nice. Week and a half. What's this? Yeah. Whatever it is. But, um, plex, 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 if you're looking. But, um, um, just that game, it's, it's, it's crazy to me that you have to be that active and, you know, you know, it takes away from your writing. Oh, no question. You I know, mean, it's a gigantic distraction on all levels. I feel yes, like. yes. It eats up creativity a, a great deal. Because you have to be creative with that. You know? Yeah. I mean, anything I really touch, I get creative with, but it's like you hate to, you know, you don't hate it, but, you know, it takes your time. I'm sitting with my lady now and I'm constantly doing this on my. You know, leisure time, and she's upset. She's watching a TV show, and I'm like, I can't watch this show. Right. I gotta do this, right. you know. But yeah, but I mean, like you look at like the films and the records and stuff, and it's like, you know, what the amount of time it took to make those, like now, is kind of transferring into this weird kind of new thing. But hopefully, that doesn't detract. Because the thing is, too, though. I mean, you're constantly working in film anyway, too. So right. that's become like a regular... That's your mm-hmm. day job, right? Yeah, yeah. Is it primarily as a first AD? First AD, second, second, right. whatever. Even PA sometimes, you know? Right, right. Sometimes I like to take these driver jobs. Sure. So I get some moments and I can sit and listen. Yeah. And I can write rounds while I'm, you know... Well, there's a lot of downtime. Yeah, yeah. Those. Get yeah. those downtime. When I first came to New York, I, I was a PA. That was my first two years. Mm-hmm. And then I shifted more into music. But... Um, yeah, I mean, so are you doing, I mean, to do that work, because my girlfriend works in TV too, so I know that, and and I know a bunch of people here in New York, 
I mean, it's it's a hustle to a major hustle too, right? Yes. Like, yes, it's a hustle. It's funny. It's like I've been doing it since '03. If you check my MDB, you'll see a long list of shows from Chappelle Show, American Idol to movie, 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 movie. So a mix of TV and film, and I'm sure commercials in the yeah. mix. Too. I have probably a lot of people don't mix as much as I do. Some people oh, get be stuck right. in music videos or sure. commercials, but I do commercials. I do TV shows, I do movies, indies, the big movies. You know, I've I've did soap operas once. You know, did you? Yeah, one day. But um, then I could do food shows, and you get stuck in the food show. I worked Food Network for like five years straight. You know, and you make all these connections. Just operating a camera? No, as an eight second AD. Gotcha. You know, and you know, and it'll be like nine cameras, eight camera teams, and right. you really it's real busy, and you know, and all these audio teams and and then contestants. It was a shot in New York? New York, I yeah. shot New York, L.A., Miami, wherever, you right. know, Albuquerque. Right. You know. Um, but that world is different where it's not, like, you're not represented by anyone, right? So they just no. know. It's, yeah. a, it's a matter of consistency. So mm-hmm. it's, in, in a way, it's, it's kind of like the older version of the music biz as far as people, they're like, this guy is good at what he does. Uh, we know him. We have a relationship with him, so mm-hmm. we want to bring him back. Mm-hmm. Where it's like in the music business now, it's like you kind of need to have an agent and a publicist right. and a manager that do a lot of the talking for you. Mm-hmm. In film, it's just your reputation is basically all that people can go off of, yeah. right? Like it's, it's reputation. It's like, bring him. He's cool. He's the rapper. He's, like, he's right. a rapper. So sometimes yeah. I get jobs just because people want me around because they feel it's cool. Like Bobby <laughs> Flay will be like, yo, make sure Plex is here. Nice. You know? And it'll be like that. And then sometimes, which is, which is funny, it's like people know you for what you did last. Of course. So like for me being an AD and, and then, or a second AD and you start graduating to where you're getting bigger money for the days and you're like, okay. I'm growing up now. I can stop the PA jobs. Right. You know? But then one person call you for a PA job, just just one day, you know, please. Guy fell out, please. Somebody says you're good. Da, da, da. And you're like, all right, I'll just do it. I have nothing to do with money. Right. I need it right now. And then you, you do that one PA job, and they remember you from that PA job after you've just been ADing for the past three years. The next, you know, they call on you for the PA jobs again, yeah. and you're stuck in that world again. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, why are you here? <laughs> and, you know, I had submitted my book in to get into the DGA, the Guild, like 2013. And those that's not in the film world, I'm going to explain it to you real yeah. quick. Director's Guild? Yeah, it's not a union, but it's a, it's a guild that sort of protects you, and they set you up for the pension, and they sure. take they, their money, and, you know, yeah. they set No different you up. than SAG, right? Right. Yeah. Similar. Similar? Similar. Yeah. And um, But to get in that one, it's a little difficult from the other departments. Like other departments, camera, you may take a test, grips, electrics, you know, art department, even makeup and hair and all that. You may work a few days, take a test, and you can get in. But you have to PA to get into these, the Director's Guild, and you work like 600 days. And you have to prove it to them by showing them the call sheets, pay stubs, PRs. Or uh, contact sheets, you know. Oh, so you gotta also be very organized. Yes, but you know nobody tells you these things when you start. So the first years, I'm still rapping. I'm like, I'm a rapper. I'm not doing, you know, I'm not PA. Even though I was a filmmaker, I said I'm gonna direct my own movie. So I wasn't trying to be an AD. Right. You know, 
I was like, so the first years, I wasn't thinking about it, but just out of GP, I was saving my pay stubs because that seemed important. Sure. But I wasn't saving call sheets or certain things. And I didn't know about certain call sheets. If they listed you as a driver, you didn't get credit. Right. And multiple camera shoots, you don't get credit. So all those Food Network shows, they don't count those. All those TV shows, are we there yet? We have multiple cameras, they don't count those. It's a lot of right. stupid rules. Are you able to negotiate that stuff ahead of time to be like, can you make sure that you credit me as like it slightly different? After so? you learn it, but right. I didn't know now. You well, know, no one's ever gonna like, right. hold your hand. No, you know? no. Some people tell people because they know. Because a lot of these people, right. it's like my father was this person. Sure. My mom's is you know. Right. So some people get you know. Well, you they, have to be, if you're born into right. it, it's totally different. Yeah, yeah, but if you're by yourself, you know, you learn by yourself. Right. But um. Yeah, so a lot of that, and uh, you know, electric company, you know, I did that for three seasons, and they had that under uh, Sesame Street Workshop, which oh, is the studio. Is there a contemporary electric company? Yeah, we shot 2008 to 2010. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, I remember watching when I was a kid. I, right, you know. right. And it's so funny, a lot of those actors are blown up now, and... um Hamilton, the kid that created Hamilton, he was on an episode too. Oh, nice! And it's funny. I'm this weekend or Monday. I'm I'm first AD in a, a, a commercial with him, Nas, Davies, and a bunch of kids. That's what's up. So I don't know if he's gonna remember me from Electric Company. Well, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, he's a, he's definitely a hip hop head. Yeah, yeah, he so. should remember because he knew me from when he was on set. You know, everybody's like, "Come on, oh, work, work." Right. But, you know. Right. But you know, I don't take it for granted. But sometimes it's weird when I work with actors that are hip hop heads, right? And you would never know. And like, um, what's his name? Damn, I can't think of his name. What show is it? I worked on this movie. It'll come to me in a second. But he right. played Pyro back in X Men. Oh, okay. Um, dang, what's that? Yeah. Someone listening will probably immediately yeah, yeah, yeah. get this. So apologies. But he got into the car. Another actor, Mark Webber, was in the car with me, and him. Damn, I can't think of his name. And what, they're just talking about hip-hop? Or obviously he you're just got old. in the car and he yeah. started spitting my rhymes. Really? And I was like, how you know that? He's like, I know you are. Oh, what's up? And it's like, wow. And Mario Lopez, like you see him you on. what's up? Yeah, he knows what's up. I worked on a movie with him and Albuquerque. And, you know, we just, you know, bonded. And we did karaoke out there. And, you know, nice. and he's like, yo, Farrell Monk, blah, blah, blah. And it's like you're on, you're a Hollywood dude. How do you know? Yeah, he's like, a, yeah, yeah like I know, I know. Hollywood. And you know, but the one who really shocked me was Farrah Fawcett. Uh, okay. I worked on a movie with her, Cookout, like 2003 or four, uh-huh. whatever. And I remember seeing her sitting in the car, bopping the head. Windows were up. And I'm like, what is she? popping too uh-huh. you know <laughs> right and i was like hey you know she's like my son he's 18 he plays me all this stuff la 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 i was like word then i gave her a cd next day she was like yo and she was <laughs> quoting some rhymes she wow. was like you're talented la 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 she said, i like your hip i don't listen to that ja rule type stuff <laughs> but i like yours and she nice. was like quoting and she was like in love and it was crazy, but nice man. Well, obviously on um, Twisted Mystery you have oh, uh, Will, Will Ferrell. Ferrell. Yeah, yeah. 
So what was the story with that? Because that's a hilarious yeah, yeah. Uh, skit. Yeah, it's funny. It's like when you work with some of these actors that you admire, you watch. Yeah. And you're like, hey, I'm hit with this person. You know? But... And he seems like a pretty, like, cool yeah, He was real cool. But it was funny, like, I forget that I'm funny. You know? <laughs> so when I say things all day, you know, people laugh. So when I make a Will Ferrell laugh, it was like... It shocks you, you know, like, right. oh, shit, you know, make a Will Ferrell laugh. And then I was like, and, you know, after a while, you know, we work on every day, then it's like, yo, Will, I want to do a skit. He said, like, just write it, just write it, and I'll do it. Come on, let's do it. And it was that easy, you nice. know. And we did it. Then he was like, yo, 50 called and want to do a skit, too. And I was like, nah, man, don't do one for just mine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, nice, you got the exclusive on yeah. that one. But, you know. And then I heard, this was before Anchorman. And when he went to do promotions for Anchorman on MTV, I heard he shouted me out. Really? Yeah. And everybody was calling me, yo, Will Ferrell just said your name on. Wow. And I was like, oh, wow. What was the thing that, what was the movie that you guys had worked on? It was called Winter Passing. Oh, okay. It was a, you know, real indie. Right. It was a serious movie. He's being serious, wasn't it? Interesting. Yeah. And it's funny, those movies you get. Like thirty day shoots, whatever. Right. Four weeks a month, something, and you know you get real close with these people, and it's not that high profile. You know, we worked in the city a couple of days, but mostly was in Jersey. You know, in a house, so it was right. like, you know, you just relax. Yeah, it's pretty chill, you know? right? Yeah. So, I mean, you have meals together. You yeah, see yeah. each other every yeah. morning and shit. Mm. Yeah. It, and it's funny. It's like sometimes you think. You're going to be friends forever. Right. And it's like, you see the younger crew that get that feeling as well. But then after you work on a movie, you realize that after this movie's done, you're never going to hear, see me again. <laughs> right. It's over, son. Yeah. It's like, I'm breaking up with you. Relationship <laughs> is done. You yeah. know? And you feel like, you, bro- you, oh, you know? But when I see people that are like, we're going to be buddies, you know? You know, and it's like, but sometimes when you run into actors that remember you from before, it's like, oh, word. You know, like, I worked on Danny Glover in that cookout movie. Then I worked on, um, I just worked a day or two on Be Calm Rewind. Okay. And I remember it was, you know, the French uh, director, and he had a French, sort of French crew. And he had this key that called me in that didn't know who I was. He was like, I got your number from somebody, you know, did you come in first day? And what is your name, Corey, Corey? I said, listen, nobody calls me Corey here. You know, it's complex. Okay, okay, complex. Okay, Corey. And it was like, <laughs> Corey and complex, could you come? He's calling me, but all right, we're coming. I used to, you know, fuck with him. And he didn't know who I was. And then when I get to set, the crew was like, hey, complex, what are you doing? Hey, hey. So he's like, oh, people know you, huh? Yeah. This regular crew, so he expecting that. But he ain't expect most depth to jump out middle of his rehearsal <laughs> when he see me. You know, with Jack Black, we oh snap and jump off. So everybody's like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Right, right. You know, start looking when the stars yeah. start coming yeah. to. Yes, definitely. So then, then when Danny Glover shows up, he's like, "Hey, what's up?" Nice. So now it's like, people are like, "Yo, who the fuck are you?" You know, <laughs> and it's like they can't even ask me to work anymore. You know, right. like this funny this producer right now <laughs> that I'm working with on this commercial, um, this video coming up. When I first started working with him, maybe a couple of years ago, he was like, 
complex or in complex, whatever. But he kept putting my government name on the call sheet. Right. And I was like, yo, man, why are you disrespecting me? And, you know, hmm. and then he always still kept me away from the set. He knew me. He just wanted me as a driver. He always kept me away like, yo. And I could hear him on set, them crying and screaming for things. We need help. Is there anybody available? Uh-huh. And he always be like, yo, just go for a run. Go for a run. And always keep me away from him, you know? And then when I came to set one time to get to the crafty table, all these these second ADs and all these other girls was like, who is this guy? He just shows up and he's just gone. <laughs> you know? Because right. it's like, another thing with me, because I'm six foot, I'm not the biggest dude, right. but when people see you, or people see people, they figure like for how they look, what we want you to do. Right, oh, right. Let's right. get this girl to organize the uh, the socks on the table. Uh-huh. You know, oh, this guy, we can get him to carry the heavy shit. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that's what a lot of times people think in their mind, or they see me. It's like, oh, let's get that guy to move all the people out of the front of the projects for American <laughs> Gangster. You know. Did you have to do that? Uh, yeah. Right, right. Denzel, could you just t- walk with Denzel over there? So why do you want me to walk over there? You know? <laughs> right, right. You know? Excuse me, y'all. Because you see the white kid over there trying to clear people off their own right, bench. Right. You know? Excuse me, guys. Could y'all get off this bench? Because we're shooting this way. Man, fuck out of here. It's my motherfucking bench. Motherfucking fuck. We're the real fucking gangsters. Right. You know? And it's like, all right, Flex, Flex. Flex is here. Everybody, Flex, Flex. Then I go over and I have to clear people, you right, know. Right. But I almost lost where I was at. Um. Oh, so now this producer for this commercial, this yeah, uh, yeah. I commercials with, and the girls was like, "What is your name?" I was like, "Complex." And I saw them looking on the call sheet, like trying to find Complex. What do you do? What do you do? And I was playing with them, you know, not giving them the full information. Uh-huh. And then they was like, "On oh, it's Corey. You know, he's disrespectful." And then he was like, I don't put street names on the call sheet. Mm. And I was like, Complex is not a street name. That's my professional names, right. Mr. Complex. And everybody laughed again. I was joking, yeah. you know. But he, his face, I see his face lit up like, you know, a certain way. Oh. And then. He understood what the name was. Yeah. Then he came back to me 20 minutes later. was like, yo. I didn't know you was Mr. Complex. You did a song with Farrell Munch, Scream and Shout, and you did this and that. Yo, man, I'm a big fan, man. Wow. I didn't know. Oh, man, I can't ask you to do anything now. I feel bad. <laughs> right. How about I just pay you you go home? Really? I was like, I was like, no, nah, you ain't got to do all that. I'm here to work, man, you know? Right. And then he was like, oh, my God, I can't believe. I can't believe. What are you doing, man? What are you doing? Then I gave him, leave me, I'm working on a new album. Uh, I need to do this to supplement. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So he was like, oh, my God. Then he's like big groupie now. He starts coming to the shows. And he's <laughs> like, I'm never going to call you for another job again. You need to be on the stage. Right, what I right. just saw right there, you can't be. And sometimes it's like that. Yeah, but you so, kind of still need to get those calls right. next, though. Yeah. But sometimes you see it. It's like you would hate for Farrell to have to do that. You would hate for OC to have to do that. Because I remember it at the time when we were all together and it was like Farrell's only job was working at uh, Alexander's or Macy's or something right. right out of high school. That was the only job. And then it was music. Even though lows might have happened in their life and you're like, what can I do? What can I do? Sure. He had to stick to his guns and he was a writer. He doesn't do anything else but write those rhymes. So Farrell's rhymes is going to be the most incredible rhymes that there are 
because that's what he loves. That's what he does, hundred percent all day. And then we 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 talk all the time about sometimes you have to part time the music because I have, you know, kids. You know, it's all you. You have a different life than I have. I need to do this. I went to school for this and that. You know, so it's a little different. You know what I mean? But I, I saw, you know, oh. And these dudes that just was like writing. If I was to be like only writing rhymes, I'd probably be a different be a different MC. Right, right, yeah. But but you can even tell with with a lot of the songs too mm-hmm. how that could play into how you make films and stuff. There's right, definitely right. a comedic edge that's that exists in both right. mediums for you. Right. There's like a real kind of like a lot of tongue in cheek. A lot of like you have to really you know there's a lot of like inside jokes or double entendres and stuff mm-hmm. that that work if you right. if you catch them they're like very right. hilarious too. right right that's the one thing that i had to, to tell these people it's like and i remember talking to to uh jaguar jaguar right uh-huh. and i was talking about balance and she says there is no balance it's all music and that's it is that no what? it's just whatever you show up for that day that's what you got to do Okay. You know what I mean? It's that still sort of as a balance because you know, I'm doing my music stuff now and then in a few hours I'm doing some film stuff, you know. Right. But I still I push it a little different. I still will be driving, writing rhymes. I'm still on set, you know, thinking of Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it's relative cuz you know, some people just you gotta make a living, mm-hmm. you know. Right, right. That's the real day-to-day reality of yeah. it. Yeah, you know? and it's stronger. Yes, today's times because no one's buying the music. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like you have to be an artist in a daytime job. You know? Yeah. And There's nothing wrong with that get, because get that'll, used to that for get, sure. Get used to that. Get used to, and, and it's like when people don't understand it. If you like, you listen to someone all day, and you go to McDonald's and you order food from them. Hey, wasn't that MC so-and-so? I got your album. It was like, if I'm working on a set and people recognize, you know, it's all good. You know, it's funny when I work on these reality shows and these people think they're superstars. Right. You know, and I have to get them, what do you want for lunch? Uh-huh. Don't make sure I don't want no corn in my salad. Right. Get me my water and make sure it's this type of water. And they think, right. okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah, and you go home. Say. Yeah. And then the next day I'm on a plane going to, you know, to yeah. Germany. Right. And how was your weekend? I just rocked a football stadium. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. and, and it's like, you're a reality star. You know, it was like that. That was like, it hit me funny. And it hit me funny on the bad days. Like, I just finished a commercial for Burlington this week. Okay. And for new people I never worked with before. For Burlington Coke Factory? Yeah, it's not Coke Factory anymore. It's more than Cokes. But but, um, they're like, could you watch this light? We're going to lunch, and there's a light out front in the generator, and there's no one watching it. All right. You want me? And it was sunny, hot day, no shade, and I'm outside in Jersey watching the light and you know those are the days that you fight with yourself it's like I used to be on stage I used to travel I I was signing autographs like an hour one day 
I was doing this. And now I'm doing this. Watching a light. Watching a light. I'm this age. I have these kids. I have this. You know, it humbles you, but you remember what are you doing. And it's like, okay, you know, prodigy just passed. You know, everybody's going to pass. I'm going to pass one day. I don't know how, when, I'm going to be soon or later. But I did put out all these records that people are finding today. Right. Yeah. People hit me last week. Yo, I just heard you, this record you made. I'm going to put it on my top 10 on my radio show. Visualize. It's dope. I'm like, wow. Well, thanks. <laughs> I'm like, well, there's something great about that. Yeah, it's great. I, I think with Prodigy's passing, too, it, it, it you know, I, Mob Deep. I mean, this lends itself to a much bigger conversation, but Mob Deep seemed like this sort of, like, invincible group, too, like, mm-hmm. impenetrable. They were, like, you know, their music was so hard, too, mm-hmm. and they were so good at it. You right. know, they were masters at that thing. And then you look now that, like, his passing is so fresh and so sudden, and you kind of take a chance to take stock in what Mob Deep and his career was. And this guy was so prolific, and I don't think you really realize until someone leaves and um and but they kept working he never sat on his hands even out of jail i mean the guy like wrote three books too Mm -hmm. he wrote a cookbook Mm -hmm. i mean you know and they made movies too like murder music i watched it last night um you know low budget movies no Mm -hmm. different than the movies that you made too right and i don't know if i'm making a precise point here but but it's like i don't doubt that he had Lots of highs and lows in his career. I'm sure they got big checks, obviously, and there's he did a lot of indie records too. You know, when it's just yeah. you just got and they had a lot of white labels, so you know, you just gotta keep mm-hmm. it going, keep the wheels moving, yeah. you know, too. I yeah, mean, it's that art and design, you know, high school that we all went to. That, um, you know, that's that's what an artist is, yeah. you know what I mean? So he's going to put it out, it's gonna come out some kind of way, you know yeah. what I mean, and you know. That's the love of it, you know. What was that school like for you? The school was like, you know, growing up, we had the movie Fame right. to look at. And you saw that window of, wow, that's what an arts, that's different from any school in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's a school like that just for people that can draw, too. Oh, really? Art and design. So you go to a school, you had to take a test. Thousands and thousands of kids felt that they were good, but only like 300 make it. You know what I mean? So then you're in a class with 30 kids, and the teacher's like, All right, we're going to design a cover for, you know, we, uh, the hospital, the boat hospitals wants a new logo. So everybody's going to do this, try to come up with a logo. So it's 30 kids that's nice. So you gotta excel out of those. You gotta look different from out of the kids that are already good. Right. And I remember my teacher pulled me to the side, was like, yo, you do this without any effort. You know, and you're better than most of the kids in here. He said, you can make six figures easy if you pursue your art. And it was like, yeah, but I'm gonna rap. You know? <laughs> and you know, it was funny that I did that, but that helped me to push to be creative. It's sure. like you think of all the MCs around, you know, that came out, and some people be rhyming now, be like, there's nothing else to rhyme about because everything's been rapped about already. Right. And when I hear people say things like that, I'm like, well, that's where you, you're wrong. 
course. That's when the art comes in. It's like when I made I'm Rhyming, that was 95, rapping still going on for 20 years at that time. Sure. And I did a song that I was rhyming the same word. Yeah. You know, I was, when I first started rhyming, that's what I used to do. I used to just think of things that, you know, people weren't doing. I did a song called Repetition Style. I was just saying the same style and it was just weird and I did a color scheme rhyme I was doing alliterations way before anybody was doing them yeah I mean you've always been pretty expansive with the kind of adventurous style of songwriting too right. like there's that one on hold this down where it's like the posse kill. I don't know if it's desire it's not desire it's the one it's everybody everywhere yeah, 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 where yeah. you have like it's kind of like a scene that plays out and you have different characters kind of coming in yeah. and out you have the guy on the radio you got the guy right. in the cypher that you walk across the street from and shit right, like that right right so that's like yeah you know it's, yeah and that's shared some words yeah, yeah. I, I came up with that concept when i was writing with polly okay when i used to sit in the studio and shaban be in a corner and Pony be in a corner and we writing i'm writing and i'm hearing and i was like it just hit me. What if I did something intertwined? Right. I remember I had did the sound installation thing back in ninety five, ninety six. Oh, cool! What These was German that? people came, and they was like, "We need a rapper to take German words that been translated to English words, huh. and we want to do the sound installation." It just—it was just some weird shit. But it was just all these art people in Midtown. Suits, $50 to get in. It was just art exhibit thing. And you were the live MC. Or? But I recorded recorded a CD. Uh-huh. And they gave me all these words. Frankfurter, hamburger, you know, all. And then there was words that didn't translate. Like okay. uh, trendsetter. You know, so it was like all these other little words. They gave me a long list. And they wanted me to put them in a rap. So I put them in a rap. And it was like a ill, crazy, weird sound beat. But it was like... It was some weird... That's dope. Yeah. But it was like... Has anyone ever... Did nope. you invite anyone to see no. that? No. <laughs> it was before... I think I had the first record out. Uh-huh. But it was nothing I told anyone. I was doing a lot of weird things at that time. <laughs> okay. I was also... <laughs> there was another artist, an actress. She was in a movie, IRT, Girl on IRT something. Okay. She was an actress. She was in another movie. Because at the time, Stress Magazine had me writing the film column. Oh, dope. Yeah, I so think I remember that. I had, I was a woman right about. So I was just meeting filmmakers. So I met this actress who's also a singer and she was a guitarist and a floatist. And um, she was doing these shows at this weird spot where they had um, a lady, she used to paddle people. She uh-huh. used to wear Viking helmets and, okay. you know, it was a weird spot. Low Manhattan? East Side. Yeah. yeah. Downtown. Yeah, and it was like. <laughs> Next to the stage, and you just used to whip people there. Okay. So this girl had me come in, and while she played the guitar, I was beatbox. All right. And she would sing, and would switch up to sing into the rap. So I used to beatbox and, and she used to sing, and it was like folk hip hop. I love that. What year was this? Ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, ninety six. Yeah, that was some great New York. That was a great yeah. time in New York for sure. And she used to. Do that, and I used to beat and people. Said, wow, I never heard anything like this before. <laughs> before Lauren Hill was doing the guitar right. acoustic stuff, and she used to make a beat with the guitar nice. for me to rap. And I used to do it. And I did that song "Relax" back wow. before I even recorded it. It yeah. was like, do, and she used to do it like that. And that was the rhyme I did for for that. 
And people were like, wow. And I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> so one day somebody was like, are you the same Mr. Complex that made I'm Rhyming? And I was like, whoa, how do you know? You know, and it was like, you know. Did you do a lot of Lyricist Lounge? I did a couple of them. Yeah. You know. What did you think of the Lyricist Lounge TV show on MTV? In the moment when it was happening. Because it's a lot of your contemporaries. Yeah. And it was like, I recently like uh, watched some episodes on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, you know, it's like um, all rap show. People yeah, rhyming. Yeah, yeah. Skits. I remember when they was recording. And did I do my game show at that time? My game show I did 99, 2000. Yes. yes. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I wanted to lead into that. Too. Oh, yeah. You yeah, talk so, about the game show. Yeah. One so at that time it was like. Stuff was popping off, right? And people were like, "Yo, you can get your game show on now. You got this this hip hop show. You're showing." It was like these were all uh, models to show um, these big companies that there's an audience, right? You know. But you see, the one thing that they was almost getting a little commercial with things, and it, people were like, "I don't know now." It's almost making fun of hip hop. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Some people had mixed reviews, but then I still think it. Turned people on, young kids were getting into it. Yeah. And it was like, if you rapped on a train, you know, it was like, I'm putting words together, everybody. People were like, wow, he can rap. You know? Right. It was like that type of thing. You know? And then, so I was doing my game show. It was weird. I was getting calls from all these networks. So, to, for people that weren't around at that time, break down what the game show was. Uh, the game show was called Hip to the Game. If you look on Mr. Complex YouTube, Mr. Complex, um, hit to the game, you'll find it. Okay. But I had like 20 categories. So like, like hip hop trivia, right? Yeah, but it was yeah. like uh, a price is right where I would dip the right. And I would do different, I would showcase different things. Like right. I was real creative with the, the game. I didn't want it all to be, I'm asking you a question. You got sure. A, B, or C. Right, you know? right, right. I had interactions. You know, I might play or something and somebody say the record, and then an artist would pop up and perform it. Right, right. You know, and people look. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, and that breaks the reality, breaks that fantasy. You know what I mean? So it was always shocking. And then I had video uh, projected categories. Like I would film a lot of artists. I had one category called "Hit Him in the Head," and I filmed like Craig Mack just talking and just had to figure out who it was. Right. You know. Did you ever watch uh, Remote Control? Remember that show that was on MTV? It was like John Stewart was the. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, this is like in the mid '80s and stuff. I kind of remember that. Yeah, it was like not the same, but I was always a fan of those kind of music, music-related uh, mm. sort of game shows. Right, right. You know, where you have to be like they play like five seconds of a song. You got to fake. Yeah, you know. I dropped the needle, but it was hard for hip hop a sh- game show like that. The one thing I came with was. Um, a lot of the licensing because hip hop you know sampled people a lot of times so they was always scared of that so I couldn't they couldn't play these songs but then it was like I think Def Jam had did the game show and and they was playing all their music so it was easier for them to control it but when I was doing it it was like who you want to play Chill Rob G where he sampled this 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 and this you know it was like you can't Right, it was right. too expensive. Do you remember this particular one? Because you, this is okay. So, I have a flyer of a thing that you did at SOBs and that you invited me to be a part of. I actually showed my music videos um, 
And I remember the show really well, too. This had to have been, this says Thursday, January 16th at SOBs, but I'm pretty sure this must have been January 16th, 2001. I would, I would assume so. Yeah. If not, maybe 2002 or something. This is Master Ace. Trees ever flowing. Uh, Eda. Eda. Uh, right. And, uh, yeah, Mr. Sinister. Um, I had a lot of performances, yeah. Yeah. Had you done multiple live versions of this one? Mm-hmm. I did about eight of them. Okay. All at SOBs? Did you no, move around? No, Midden Factory, Near Recon. First one was at the Fat Beat store. Nice, okay. I did one in London and Mr. Bongo's. Dope. I did one in L.A. at another record store. I don't remember what it was. So you were just, those must have been kind of like sort of primitive, uh, yeah. you're testing it out. But it was crazy because after I started doing them, a lot of people started giving me product. Like, oh, cool. I used to have Xboxes and oh, was, clothes uh, and prizes. Prizes. Yeah, I had one show, I had so many prizes that I just gave them to all the audience that was there. <laughs> right. Like magazines. Everybody got yeah, Everybody got something. I remember um, this one so vividly because I was playing the videos. I was on the balcony um, where the projector is at SOVs, and cats started booing uh, some of the music videos because mm-hmm. it was a mix. Of, it was some real West Coast stuff in there, too. Oh, yeah. I was living in California at the time, so I had whatever I had access to is what got on there. Mm-hmm. So I had some New York shit, and I had some West Coast stuff. So the West Coast shit, you know, this is 2001, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely got some booze. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a tough... New York crowd uh, at the time I remember and, but I was playing them all over the place but I just remember that one just being like gag man I wish I should have made one just yeah. of New York artists yeah uh, I remember I had kids film this uh huh and the kid kept the tapes oh shit so you never saw this particular one no yeah some um, yeah it was cool man it was a cool cool concept Christian if I ever run into a camera dude named Christian and they and run he, those joints. And he mentions, hey, I remember you now. Yeah. You're like, where's that storage space, man? Mm-hmm. We're running that shit. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I love it, man. Just that, like, you know, you've always tried to uh, had an adventurous edge as far as, like, conceptual stuff goes. Mm-hmm. Um, both with the records and, and with the film and the video stuff, too. So, but... Um, What's the, like, because I just saw you play, too. I haven't seen you rock a show in a long time, too, which was mm-hmm. great. So you have, I wanted to work this into to the conversation so people, at least in the New York area, know that mm-hmm. you, you're doing, like, a summer series thing, too, yeah. right? So what's the, what, what's the place and what, it's like every, it's once a month? Or? Yes. Yeah. Is, I've been calling it Summer Love Series. Nice. Okay. Next one is July 16, then August 13. Okay. It's in the Brooklyn Navy Yard at the, uh... This whiskey distillery yeah, called Tasters Room. Cool. Yeah, it's a cool space. Yeah, it's real nice. Um, <laughs> I was supposed to meet with them today. Um, but yeah, it was Father's Day for the last one, so it didn't right. have a big turnout. But this one, I gotta pack it out. Yeah, know? definitely. Yeah, so I'm gonna figure out my lineup. And, you know, it still was a good one. Yeah, it was El Fudge performed. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen him perform before, All so right. that was a special treat. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. It's funny, I got El Fudge into the uh, film world. Now yeah, he mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, so now he's he's pulling focus. Um, right, he's more of driving and, you know, PA. Yeah. It's the second AD sometimes, but. Yeah, that's what's up. Yeah. But, um, 
Yeah, the next one. Oh, you missed the second show. I, you just saw the first one. Oh, the second one. Oh, yeah, because you do. You basically do a, an afternoon show and an evening show, right? Yeah, it was like from <clears throat> two to eight. It's a right. daytime thing. Right. We have food, drinks, DJ, live band, DJ, live band. I brought some other cats to perform. Who was the DJ? The one that I just Early saw. The one was DJ Strike. He was dope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really then enjoyed I had DJ stuff. Mocha and I had DJ Toshi. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, the second show I performed, it was a lot different. Right. Uh, it was a lot tighter. I don't know. Um, I brought Truth and No Lie out. Nice. And Fudge, and we did it again. And Daru, the drummer. Yeah. He came out and jumped on King Kong Love. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah. So that second, so talented, that second setting was blew the first one out. Right, right. And I was like, damn. And I didn't go live on the second one. Somebody oh, had gosh. my phone went right, live right. on the first one. The second one is the one that I wish people saw. That but first one was was good. I mean, it was a hot day. It was Father's Day. It was a, this, you know, you did the early afternoon set. It's a great band. The, the people that you did that playing with you, I thought were great, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great drummer and bass player, keyboard player. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's cool. So then, and, and then you got a record that just came out, too, right? Yeah, the Forever New album. One producer. Nice. Who's that? His name is Mortal One. He was another one that went to high school with us. Oh, so you grew up with him. Yeah, and he was never in the game. He became a correction officer, retired mm-hmm. early, and all of a sudden it's like, I'm making beats. <laughs> and my first nice. producer, Omega Supreme, who, oh, right. who I never really put out records with. <laughs> he was the first producer? Yeah. I didn't realize that because he, yeah, he's put out a bunch of stuff. If I'm not mistaken, right? He worked No, I'm with, thinking of someone else. Probably someone else. Yeah. He... He was a producer, DJ, and manager type. Okay. You know, when I, he was at the high school as well. He was organizers, sort of first DJ, sort of, but cool. never really did things. But then um, he started working in industry. He was working with Russ way back in the late 80s, and he introduced me to a lot of people back then. Right. And um, when I first, first, like, 90... 8990 when I was hitting the demos um I got offered a deal early but I didn't follow up okay and then with whom it was MCA Soul Records okay and um yeah um then he started running around with CC Pennison okay and they trying to get me on R&B vibe you know, I cannot, they was like, cannot envision that one. Yeah, they was like, since Will Smith is doing TV now, you could take a spot. You could be the young, clean-cut storyteller. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I was like, but I'm complex, man. I'm not, you yeah. know. But they had me rhyming on all these R&B beats, you know. You still have those? Yeah. Wow. I have about six, seven songs. One with Pharaoh on it. Very interesting. For early 90s? 90. Wow. 1990. When did Organized debut album come out? Ninety one or something? Ninety two? Yeah, something like that. Were you around? You must have been around uh, those guys, obviously, during that period of time. Yeah, before that. I. <laughs> I mean, you grew up with them, yeah. Yeah, I helped them get their first record. Their first record oh, the, before. Um, what were they called before Organized? Simply two positive MCs. Right. There was to be a guy that lived three houses over, named Neil Kelly. Uh huh. He was older than me. He was my aunt's, you know, friend. But he was like techno dude. He had. He came to my house. He was like, everybody's gonna have a computer in their house. Uh huh. Years to come, everybody's a computer. What's that? 
He was like, he knew everything. Right. Magazines is going to be dead. Da, da, da. He was like, uh, he was that dude. Yeah. He was able to get on my TV screen when I was watching Kung Fu movies. He was able to talk. No way. I don't know how he did. Yo, cool, you watch? I'm like, how you doing this, man? <laughs> he had speakers and a mic in his car. I used to come home and be like, yo, cool. He was like <laughs> no that way. dude. Then he built a studio in his basement. Okay. And you remember uh, Jamaica Funk? Jamaica Funk. That's one. Yes. Keyboard player's name was Kenny Osborne. Uh, oh, oh. Hey, you know that dude? They used to be down there and they used to be making beats. They used to bring all these MCs through. You know, um, this one dude named Prince Swift and the Badly Boys. Okay. Some girl named Smiley, Father MC. Really? They used to come down there. This I, is Jamaica? Yeah. Right. I used to come down there and just watch. I was a kid. They let you hang out? Yeah, me hang out. If I could rap, they like, come on. I can rap. And let me hear you. And I was scared. I was like, you got to turn out the lights first. <laughs> and then I did a rhyme with all C's. I'm the courageous cat. Clear fire, clear clean contracts, cooling like a cool cat should. Never say can't, cause I wish you would. Clever concept. <laughs> it was something crazy. Nice. It was like eight pages. Right. They was like, oh my god. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not gonna rap. No, I'm not gonna do it. But my friend can. And then I brought Prince Poe over. Okay. He sat next to me in like tenth grade. So you come. These guys at the studio. You gotta come over. So we used to come over. Did you guys meet in school? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. 84, 85. Uh-huh. So um, <laughs> I had to bring Prince over, and he used to rap down there. Nice. And they'd be like, let's go to your man crib, let's go to your man crib. And we used to keep bringing him over until he got familiar. He was like, then he started bringing Pharaoh over. Cool. And then they started recording, and you know they made a record. So they did the record all there? Yeah. Yeah. And now they went oh, to they a big the, studio, yeah, but, but they, did they the started demos the stuff. demos there. Yeah. Yeah, and then that's how that started. Amazing. And it was crazy to hear your friends on wax. You know, it was like, that's his voice. You know? Yeah. And that's how that started. What was it like when that record came out, like, in Jamaica? In Jamaica, it was like, they only pressed like a thousand copies. Uh Uh-huh. So, um, they didn't even do anything with the love record, too. So, it was like, it's called Moments of Love or something like that. Oh, this is their very first record. Yeah, Yeah. four organized so did people even get it at no, all? No, no. Right. I mean, it just was like for fun. Right, right. And then that led them to get a deal. Yeah. You know Hollywood what I mean? Like, basic, yeah. Just like we were saying before, you press these records up to get a deal. That's yes. how I saw Right. That's how I knew it. Right. I didn't realize you could make your own career off of pressing it yourself. Yeah. You know, and that's what I learned later. Sure. But, you know, um, so back to Omega Supreme who really didn't have hands on at the record, but he was a dude that was just a click. You know what I mean? So when he started touring with CC, they left me home for like seven, eight months. And I used to be like, come on, man, I'm going to go to the studio. Wait till we get back. I ain't waiting. And then I bring my other man with me to the studio, Lee Stone. Right, right. And I brought some equipment. I bought a Akai 950, and Lee had something, and just brought my stuff to his house. And was like, yo, let's just record. Come in the studio. And I brought Lee to the studio, and then Lee started learning the machines. The next year, you know, we was making some music, but it was like 90, early 90s, right. you know, up until, you know, that first record. And then I introduced Lee to my other people, so Farrell, 
Apani, mm -hmm. and then Lee started getting busy after yeah, that. Yeah, Lee did a lot after that, right? Yeah. yeah. Then he started working with Farrell, then I couldn't get more, more Lee time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But then they did Simon Says, you know? Nice stuff. It was a big record. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, where was I getting at? Well, I was just trying to get a, a taste of what the, that time in Jamaica mm -hmm. was, too, because you were there at the at the beginning and really uh, especially you know organized first and obviously their second album were mm. these i feel like huge cultural like mm. contributions to hip-hop i mean yeah yeah both records are so great for so many different reasons but and sometimes i'll be more in the mood for the first album and sometimes i mean stress i mean i listen i love equinox too and i'm just i'm a big fan of that group but um there's something so great about that their debut album too it mm. was like just pure in a way, you know, like mm. um, and great. I mean, it was it was. Um, I was there in the studios for a lot. I, I was in college, so I was going. You know, I wasn't sitting around sure. all day, right? But you know, I wasn't thinking I was going to be a rapper so much at the time. I was it was hobby for me. It was fun, right? But you know, they gave me my shout outs. I went around with them to the shows, OCs. It was a big. Queens click, you know? Right. And even recording it was like you bumped heads with, you know, Large Professor. You bumped heads with all these Queens cats. Right. You know, it was like, I remember you asked me about the Queens situation. It was like, you know, Kwame also went to our school. Okay. So nice. I passed his house to get to Farrell. Farrell, see lit across the street. You know, we'd go get a haircut from the barbershop and the barbers was Fredro and Sticky Fingers. Nice. Onyx. Yes. Yeah. So, and then, you know, you had your Lost Boys also. Mm hmm I remember I also used to go to another barbershop in Hollis. My man Shaft used to cut on Murdoch. And we used to watch TV up in there. And he's like, who the fuck are these dudes? Funny clothes. They from Queens, man. It's Tropical Quest. They right down the block. <laughs> they ain't from Queens. It's the yard, 116. <laughs> You know, right. and then Omega Supreme. Uh, I gotta get back to that story. He used to, you know, we just knew everybody because he worked at Russell, Russell Simmons. So he knew all these people. He used to introduce me. I met Buster Rhymes, you know, and and leaders way back then. Right. He was like, "Yo, Complex, sing Happy Birthday, Buster! It's my birthday, 19." <laughs> I was like, "You fuck is Buster?" Uh -huh. You know, and um, all these people. We used to, I used to go to Q-Tip's house. And he used to talk about how he used to pause tapes. Right. He had no, you know, machines. Yeah, and it was on his amazing. second album. And I was like, what? It was already low in theory. Yeah. Right? And, and then Malik used to be there. And then I used to go to Jerobi House in Hempstead. I went to, I went to Jerobi House with Money B. Wow. A raw fusion. Yeah. And Money and B. Was, right? Yeah. And he was playing me all these tracks from Shock G. And I used to take him to the mall, show him off. Like, it's my man from G1. You know, <laughs> and he played me this one track, and me and Money B was in the car rhyming over it, which ended up turning to be I Get Around. Wow. You know what I mean? That's amazing. Yeah, and it was like, dang, he got that record. And, but so back to Andre, when I started, when he came back from tour from CC Peniston, I played him some demos I did. And he got upset. You know, it was like, yo, why you do that? And I was like, yo, man. This is complex. You know, I had did a song where every verse was a different beat. 
You know, nice. that's when I was making beats too. Yeah, cool. You know, I used to come to Farrell, but you help me with the drums. And I used to make beats, and I used to, I to do it all because I couldn't wait. Right. And OC used to want some of my beats and this and that. And then um, people started acting funny, you know. Then I pressed the record up myself. You know, Farrell did one beat, Prince Poe did one beat, and Lee did the other. And people started, you know, acting like like they owned me or something, you know. Mm. And, you know, I just started doing my own thing. Right. So by the second record, Visualize, then I started really traveling and, and doing things. Right, right. And then Omega Supreme was in no way in my cipher. So then maybe 2008, it's when Farrell called me, was like, yo, call Dre, Omega Supreme. He's in the hospital and he's mm. about to die. Yeah. And he got cancer, mm. blah, blah, blah. So I didn't even know how to call somebody like that. You know, I ain't spoken to him. Pretty much my whole... He's, I seen him one time, and he was like, I want to congratulate... Maybe like 98. Mm. I want to congratulate you on your success. I've been seeing you. It might have been a little while. I think I had a few records out. So I was like, you know, thanks. But it was other personal business that sure. separated him and a lot of my other friends. Right. with some girls or something. Gotcha. I mean, that's a whole nother movie. Right. But So a lot of my friends that I was tight with, with five of them, Comedian Kenny Williams, you know, it was a good set of people that could have been bigger if we all stayed a unit, but didn't. So when I went to the hospital, you know, to see him, Number Farrell dropped me off, and it was hard to find him. It took me like a half hour to find the room. I finally get to the room. I go in, the doctor's going at the same time, and he looked like he was already dead. He was in bad shape. Mm-hmm. He was like, I had to step out the room, doctor had to talk, so I'm sitting in the hallway waiting, and then the other friends came that I haven't seen in 15 years. And they was like, yo, man, yo, you know? And it was like, I always been like an outcast with them, you know what I'm saying? So then, it, but, but for the sensu- uh, circumstances, people was like forgiven, and everybody was cool. Right. So we get in there, and, and Omega was like, yo, I've been teaching Chris how to work the machines. So Mortal was like, you got to come to the crib. You know, I'm making beats, beat beats. So after the funeral, I went to check out his beats back in South Jamaica, Queens, back to where I came from. He's playing me all this stuff. I'm like, wow, wow, wow. So then we started recording like 08, 09 something. You know, and I said, let's do a whole album in the light of Omega Supreme. And that's when I started recording again after like two years of not recording anything last thing was the poly you know and I did commercial rap forever new and started doing all these songs and did like 10 songs and then I recorded he played me this beat for King Kong Love and I recorded something else I had somebody else do the singer dude Uh sing something and he left and I never do this I never did this like just have a track he sat I sat there for 20 minutes and I was like, yo, turn the mic on. He came back down. I just went in the booth and recorded that King Kong love right there. So those records are on the most current album, yeah? Yeah. And uh, that came out uh, just last top of last year or something? No, no. No? Uh, May, brand new? May 30th. Ah, see? Caught me slipping. So it's, it's uh, brand new. Yeah. And so you did a lot of those songs where it was... At, was 
you performed at the uh, at the party, right? Yeah, yeah. Too. So um, you were telling me that you had done some music videos for it too, right? Yeah, I've shot like five videos. That's amazing. For the album, I did an EP as well. What's that called? Um, I'm in my own lane. Cool. And I released that probably top of the year, I think. No, I released that on my birthday, April fifth. So, sweet. So, uh, um, obviously, making videos uh, in 2017 is probably a little easier than it was in 1993 and four. Yeah, it is. When's the last time you shot anything on film? It's been a while, yeah? I haven't shot anything on film myself. Did you do Underground Up? on? That was on film, if I'm not mistaken. No, 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 video? that was video. Okay. I think that was a high eight. Yeah, it was high because it was a little raw, because Desire actually looked pretty dope. That was like oh, yeah. early uh, red camera or whatever, what... what do you remember what? That was like a nice yeah, it was a one. Panasonic something. What do you shoot with now? Um, the last few videos I shot with a Canon 300C. Oh, cool. And um, I did the King Kong Love, and then was then. Sometimes I use my 7D, Canon 7D, for some of them because they're just so low budget. Just use that. But people are like, "Yo, what'd you shoot on? This looks." Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Whatever, but um, I did two videos for the EP and five for this album. I didn't release one of them yet. I was gonna release them all at one time, like Beyonce. It was my plan. Uh huh. <laughs> I could get my website right to flow properly, but um, I want to shoot another video soon for this song. I gotta get home with um, mm-hmm. General DV, Sadat X, and Prince Poe. Oh, dope. And Nadine Michelle. And people seem to gravitate to that song. And I got a real crazy concept. It's first, not first time, but it's a conscious song. You know, I'm talking about some things, but, you know, it's, you know, it's a little different from me, you know. Cool. I can dig it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that you, you uh, did all those videos, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all on, you have a YouTube page, too, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm not sure what it's called. <laughs> That's fine. No, no, no. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, I just, I dig it, man. It was so, one, it was so great to see you performing because it, it had been a long time when mm-hmm. I just saw you here in Brooklyn. But just that, uh, um, you know, we have, not only do we have some, like, you know, professional history, but I've, just, I've been a fan since that first single, like so many people. So since the kind of the early days and knowing that, that there was like you had this that you were part of this kind of world of like hyper creative uh mcs from queens you know mm-hmm. organized prince poe and, and pharaoh and, and um and oc and just in the whole kind of world that that revolves around that that they're a part of rather because there's so many incredible people out of that camp and that you've always just kind of kept your uh you know you your style intact and, stuff, mm-hmm. and your sense of humor too and sense of like storytelling and shit yeah so this is something I dig man I'm glad that we could find the time because you're running around like you got you, you got a job today if I'm not mistaken to yeah. go to you came from one you got one this weekend so I just appreciate your time and thank you thanks man. so much man keep and just keep it keep it going yeah, please thanks alright thanks man Peace. yes yes shout out to Mr. Complex thank you guys for tuning in as always, every episode is edited and engineered by my man, CJ Stewart. Good looking out. And if you like this, please subscribe on iTunes, on SoundCloud, anywhere you can find um, good podcasts. 
I like to think that you'll be able to find the house list. Yes, with Peter Gossett, me, your host. So look out for a lot of uh, forthcoming, incredible episodes. I'm going to go to California in the very near future, depending on when you listen to this. So I'll be recording many episodes out there. And um, yeah, so dig it, y'all. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. You know, rest in peace to Prodigy. One love, y'all. I'll catch you guys next time. Yeah, this song, this song, this song right here, it's about nothing. But it's the way that I'm saying nothing that just makes it something. So I'm saying just ease back and relax. So I'm about to get into this. Times like this, the mic is all that I care. For therefore, I get busy, busy, bear. More hair, ho. I know you feed for the hip. Check the lip. Up from up the corners, now jump on it. I know you want to cut the rug, but you we got to go my Meet the me that's making history Full of faith, face full of bull Makes my grass grow Recruit my pants, true by this Wanna show my ass Yo, I break sweats cause I'm broke I tell because you're funny folk I poke, wouldn't to alleviate tension I must mention, I'm comp competition If you abbreviate, flex complex If you want it all straight and forward March or arch rhythms as if you up like starts You catch cuts from the creases But what's out, why eat them seeds with the Reese's To beat the buttercups I put the ooey up in your butt So what's up, what it look
Yo, mommy, you're checking them. I am not the plane. You let me explain. It's something with the brain. It's a full against the grain. I am 